Hey, this is Scott Ardella, author of the new book, The Edge of Strength, now available on Amazon, and you're listening to the Ardella Training Podcast, a no-nonsense weekly fitness and performance podcast dedicated to the serious fitness enthusiast, coach, or athlete. Thanks for joining me this week. Let's get started. Hey guys, if you're looking for a proven way to build high quality muscle, gain functional strength and improve your training performance with the big barbell lifts, here's a solution. One problem with most muscle building programs is they don't do anything to address function and performance. And that's why I designed Barbell Bodybuilding, a six week training cycle to put on high quality muscle mass, improve strength, and also improve training performance with a functional hypertrophy training approach. This is a highly effective program built around the fundamental barbell lifts. You can go to ardellatraining.com forward slash bodybuilding to learn more. Get bigger, stronger, and better at ardellatraining.com forward slash bodybuilding. Check it out. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 165. In this week's episode, I have Fabio Zonin, who is a master strong first instructor, powerlifter and bodybuilder. Here's a few things you're going to hear about in this week's episode. You're going to learn why strength training principles are universal regardless of the tool. You're going to hear Fabio's unique approach to strength and his own challenges and journey. And you're going to hear some specific tactical approaches to strength training and so much more. I really enjoyed this interview and I guarantee you're going to get a ton out of this week's show. A few quick things here before we get started with the interview with Fabio. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do is follow up with Chris Duffin's interview from last week. Now, we talked about the shiny new toy syndrome, which is really getting distracted with new programs or training methods. And while I definitely don't advocate this approach uh, with shiny new toys and getting distracted and taking you out of what you're trying to achieve, I do think that there is something really special and unique about something that I talked about with Chris in last week's interview. And I'm going to talk about this more soon on the show in future episodes, and you're going to see exactly what I mean. I think this is really, really significant, and this was a big takeaway for me out of last week's show. So I'll be talking about that here in the next couple of weeks. The second thing I wanted to mention before we get into the interview, and this is really congruent with the topic since we're discussing strength and bodybuilding in this week's episode, the program that I'm currently doing right now is what I talked about in the opening segment of the show, and that is the recently released Barbell Bodybuilding Program. This is a great program that, that I designed, that I'm doing again myself, and uh, I'm just starting this program because it's it's been such an effective program for putting on size and strength, and hypertrophy training phases are always going to be an important part of your training, and especially if your goals are to get stronger as bigger muscles, larger muscles generate more force. So this is a really unique program, and uh, this is what I'm doing right now. If you're into uh, barbell lifting, if that's part of your training approach, definitely check it out because this is a really, really solid program. The next thing I wanted to mention before we get into the interview is I got a great email from Evan this week, and he shared his takeaways from last week's show. He shared several great things in the email that he sent. One of the things he said is that Chris mentioned, and I'm talking about the interview again with Chris Duffin from last week in episode number 164, he said that Chris mentioned that it's important to have strength manifesting itself in your life, not just in a physical aspect, 
but in all others of your life, to be a pillar for others to lean on in tough times. And this really resonated with me that he said that. First of all, Evan, thank you so much for sharing your great insight and your takeaway. But this is really why I wrote the book, The Edge of Strength, because strength goes way beyond just physical strength and, and the physical attributes. Physical strength is life strength. And that's actually the meaning behind the book, The Edge of Strength. Strength is the edge in life. And uh, I don't, don't want to go too deep into this here. I mean, I could spend a lot of time talking about it. But uh, again, this is really the, the meaning behind the book and why I wrote this book. And uh, I'm glad, Evan, that you uh, shared this and it resonated with you. And it's really the truth because strength training is really uh, the core, the foundation of a better life. All right, guys, let me tell you about Fabio and then we are going to uh, jump right into the interview. So Fabio Zonin from Italy is a master strong first kettlebell instructor. He is a SFB and SFL. These are all the uh, certifications uh, from strong first, the body weight and barbell uh, certifications. He is a former power lifter, natural bodybuilder, and, uh, and really a great guy. Had the pleasure to meet Fabio a couple of years back. And by the way, I'm actually Italian myself. I don't know if any of you know that, but uh, my family comes from northern Italy. Uh, again, my last name is uh, Ardella. You say it, Iadella in uh, Italian. But uh, anyway, not to get off track here. Fabio was the first Italian to accomplish the Beast Tamer Challenge and has been a master teacher for the FIF, the Italian Federation of Fitness, for almost two decades. He is the Ground Force Method National Director for Italy. He is the former vice president of the Italian Association of Natural Bodybuilding and has trained many athletes at national and international levels in natural bodybuilding, powerlifting, and other sports. He has authored numerous articles for Italian popular magazines and websites dedicated to fitness, bodybuilding, and strength training, and has worked with leading Italian companies in the field of sports equipment, body composition evaluation, software, and nutritional supplements. This is a really great episode. Again, I guarantee you're going to love this, get a lot out of it. So let's do it. Let's uh, jump into the interview with Fabio Zonin. Enjoy it, guys. All right, guys. Joining me this morning is former powerlifter, natural bodybuilder, master SFG strong first instructor, Fabio Zonin. Fabio, thank you so much for coming on the call. And uh, I know that we just had a great chat before we even started the recording, and I'm really excited about the interview here this morning. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me, Scott. It's a great honor for me and a great pleasure. Awesome. So as we open things up, Fabio, we were talking about your background and kind of your journey. So let's get back to that. Can you tell the audience a little bit about where you're coming from and kind of how you got to where you are today? Uh, well, you know, when I was a young kid, I did things like karate and Greek Roman wrestling and stuff like that. But at the age, I guess, around 13, I started lifting bars in a gym, very old gym in my town, and I got into powerlifting. And uh, I think it was not even 16 when I did my first powerlifting meet. So I started with that, and then uh, I did that for a few years, and then I uh, switched to uh, natural bodybuilding, basically, and most likely because, you know, uh, at that age... Uh, your thought goes toward girls, yes. and I thought that having a nice body could help a lot in that, you know, that, in yeah. that. So this is why I switched from powerlifting to bodybuilding. 
Also, which is fun, my mother wouldn't allow me to compete in powerlifting anymore because she thought it was dangerous. So she thought that bodybuilding using uh, lighter weights was safer. And she knows now she was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) What's funny, Fabio, is we were talking before we got started here. So you and I met at the Maximum Impact Barbell Workshop back in 2012, I believe. And what I was saying to you is that it was that workshop that was really a turning point for me because I started to feel like I was finally discovering the barbell. And after so many years of training as a young man, I come from, from a bodybuilding background as well, but I was never taught the right way to use a barbell. And you were kind of saying the same thing. So tell us about that and kind of what were the key learning experiences for you in terms of barbell training? Yeah, here is the thing. You know, when you approach a gym, you take, you know, the barbell for granted. I mean, it's there, everybody's using it, so it's easy. It's not like a kettlebell where, you, you know, you do understand that you need to learn some skills in order to use it. So, you know, we've been using in the gym barbells for years, and so we thought we knew everything about it. And actually, before, you know, starting working for Strong First and the RKC before, I've been a master instructor for the Italian Federation of Fitness, so I was running instructor courses for becoming personal trainer here. And so I was teaching barbells as well. And I thought I, thought I knew everything that was needed to know about barbells until we, we both got in that place in San Jose. With, it was with uh, Pavel and Jeff O'Connor. Yes. And the, the things that they taught to us about the barbell, you know, blowed my mind. I went back home and I said, oh, I thought I knew about barbells before. Right. But actually, it didn't. Yes. Yeah, I, f- I felt the same way. But what was really great, I thought about that, is that you know we had the, the background in, in kettlebell training. So we had gone through you know, the kettlebell certifications, and we learned about the principles in, in kettlebell training. And then I thought it was just really a next step progression to take those principles, the tension principles, body mechanics principles and apply that now to the barbell. Do you agree with that? Did you kind of find the same things? I completely agree, and I would also include, you know, body weight and any other tool, because here's the thing. The uh, principles of strength, I think, are universal. So the fact is that as soon as you learn those principles, they do apply not only to one tool, but to any kind of tool, including your body weight. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And that's a really, really important point that you just made. And you're absolutely right. Because again, the the principles of strength are universal, irregardless of the tool. You're absolutely right. right. I remember that when I did my first RKC uh, back in 2009 in Hungary, the third was about kettlebells, right? And actually, you know, as it is now with the Strong First Certifications, People are coached by an SFG instructors. They get ready. They know what to expect. At the time, there were only one or two RKCs in Italy. So when I showed up there, I really didn't know what to expect, right? So I, I learned quite a lot, not only about kettlebells, but I learned some principles. And I was surprised because I got back home. And after maybe a week recovery, after those three days, I kind of did my PR in deadlift, which is, you know, I mean, I realized that. Yeah, what I took home from that cert did not only apply to my uh, to the kettlebells, but to everything that is related to strength training. That's really interesting. That is really interesting. Let's take a step back, and I'm curious. Even before going through the kettlebell certification, what what got you started in kettlebells to begin with? 
Uh, actually, uh, it was not about kettlebells. Here's the thing. So I was interested in bodybuilding, and I was reading everything that was related to bodybuilding because this also is something that who listeners should know we've been talking a little bit about before in our chat before, before uh, the interview, is that uh, at least here in Italy, we don't, we don't have any good coach. So my, in bodybuilding, mine was a self-discovery. So I was trying to, you know, to dig everything I could find about bodybuilding. And I uh, run into this book called Beyond Bodybuilding from Pavel, right? And uh, what I was surprised, I read this book and basically it was saying exactly the opposite of everything I was doing and everything I believed in, in, in bodybuilding. So it was the opposite on one side. But on the other side, it did make a lot of sense to me. So I read about Pavel coming to uh, teach a seminar about uh, Beyond Bodybuilding in Italy. So I joined the seminar. And in the seminar, he taught something about, you know, how to perform a good bench press, pull-ups. We worked on pistols. And also, he taught the swing. And that's where I realized I want to do this. And the fun part of it is that it was, let's say, uh, half of June, and I heard about the RKC cert in August, so two months ahead. I heard, I, I purchased some kettlebells, which reached my home like in half of July, and I started preparing for the RKC, not even knowing they were using double bounds. So I just showed up there, you know, with, wow. <laughs> with no wow. skills at all, completely yeah. crazy. But I, that seminar blew my mind, so I wanted to be part of that. So. Uh- I would imagine you wouldn't advise preparation like that. So it, typically, no. people, <laughs> typically people prepare for months in advance of a certification, right? Yeah. So uh, you, you know, I would say don't try that at home. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Also, I was in my mind, which was not a stupid thought. I said, okay, uh, I know I will have to use the twenty-four kilo right bell at the cert. So, and I, I purchased a 16, a 24, and a 32. So I'm going to train with a 32. Uh-huh. So those three days will be easy. The fact is that I have no skills. So my, yeah. my clean was pretty much a, a curl, and uh, I tore my uh, left bicep. And so uh, Jeff Newport still rem- remembers this. I was the one who that year, I had to do my snatch test with one arm because I couldn't really manage to do the snatches with my left. Oh, so I did, it was by the weight at the time, I did 92 snatches with my right arm. Oh, man. That was, I almost died. Oh man, that's unbelievable. So did you make 100? Did you get the other eight with the other arm or? No, here's the thing. At the time, <laughs> it was not 100 snatches. Okay. It, was as, uh, as many snatches as your body weight in, kilo, in kilos. So I weighed 92 kilos. I was okay. still a bodybuilder, so I was yes. a pretty big guy. And so I had to do only 92 snatches. Got it. Got it. Now, what was the hook for you with kettlebells? What did you like when you started experimenting with kettlebells and got into kettlebell training? What was it about kettlebells that you thought maybe this is a different tool? Well, the third thing I thought when I, when I saw the swing, I thought, that is going to improve my deadlift. Because, you know, since my older background is in powerlifting, the way I used to train bodybuilding was, we could call it the power bodybuilding. I mean, I was training with powerlifting tools, so yes. mainly barbells, yes. rather than machines and stuff like that. So I was deadlifting and squatting pretty heavy. So I thought about deadlift. And then I thought about conditioning. I thought, well, 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 hey, this is very interesting. I'm going to get rid of the, uh, 
of my, you know, fat when I'm going to go in competition or to get ripped without having to jump on a treadmill or all those cardio tools, which I don't have too much sympathy for them. So I thought about that and also realized one thing. All the people that I, uh, that were at that worship that already were, were already using cannabis were so, so healthy and so flexible. And at the time I had problems in tying my shoes. So I thought this tool is going to make me stronger, is, is going to help me get rid of the excessive body fat, you know, without having to do all those aerobics for a long time on cardio machines. And also I thought it's going to improve my coordination and is going to improve my skills and is going to improve my flexibility, my health in general. Because I was, you know, close to 40 years old and I was realizing that my body was big and strong, but pretty much dysfunctional. I was starting feeling pain everywhere, every day. And I thought, this is not the right path. This is, I'm doing something wrong. That's uh, some really good information there that you just went over about uh, really improving your, your movement, mobility, flexibility, coordination, all those benefits. And I, I think that I experienced the same thing as well. I mean, that was really one of the big things when I started uh, getting into kettlebells that it just seemed to make you move so much better. And I don't know if I really had any mobility slash kind of flexibility issues, but I can tell you that now, I mean, I feel like I move so well and I'm just, there's just, there's absolutely no issues. So I'm curious, how do you feel you, you move today? I mean, do you have any, would you say that you have any mobility or flexibility uh, challenges right now? I still do. Most of them are due to old injuries because here's the thing, in my career, bodybuilding career, I, I experimented pretty much everything I found before advising those things to any other. And so if you think about a mistake in training, any mistake, you can trust me, I did it. <laughs> so so, so I, I mean, I, I switched from training like six times a week two times a day to training two times a week from the heavy duty to the German volume training, whatever you can think of, I did it. Wow. And here's the thing. I never, I would never give up even if I was injured, if I was feeling pain, I would, you know, no pain, no gain mentality. So I would always push so hard. And I got like, uh, I got a 1996, a very bad uh, cervical disc hernia. I lost lots of strength on my right side because I, I almost lost completely my tricep at the beginning, part of my pec yeah. and my lat. And sometimes I think, oh, I'm strong now. How stronger I could be without an injury. So, and then some uh, other lumbar hernias and stuff like that. So I still have some issues. It means that I'm not super flexible, but I am much more flexible and I move much better now than when I was 20 years old, which is amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 47. And here's the thing. I'm stronger now than I was when I was a competitive power lifter and I wasn't that bad. And I feel less pain and I move much better. But still, yeah, I still have to work on quite a few issues. But those are mistakes of the past. So one of my greatest goals right now is to prevent yes. my students and my friends and my buddies from doing the mistakes I did. Yeah. Totally. Well, talk a little bit more about some of those mistakes because that was one of my questions I wanted to ask you. And um, two, two things I wanted to ask you about is, number one, biggest mistakes in, in kettlebell training. So maybe the top two or three mistakes there. And then maybe the top two or three mistakes in general. 
Well, in kettlebell training, you know, the, the mistake, the most common mistake is rely on YouTube University. Yes. So you graduate on YouTube, actually, in kettlebell training. It means there's so much information about kettlebell out there, but so little really good informa- information. Uh, you know, kettlebell is a tool, which means that uh, it's not about the tool, it's about how do you use it. Let me give you an example. If there is wind, I can put a kettlebell on papers on my desk to prevent the wind from blowing them away, or I can use it as a door holder, or even if I heat it really, really well, I can use it to iron my trousers. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm using the kettlebell in the right way, right? right? So there are plenty of ways, and there are plenty of right ways, because I'm not one of those guys who say, oh, hard style is the best, and sport, kettlebell sport is not good. Not at all. It's great. It's just different. So it's not about the, the tool. It's about the school behind it and the principle behind it, the way you use it. Uh, most people think that the kettlebell is so easy that they can just get a you know online course or watch YouTube and just uh, and just copy those moves and they do not consider because so, you know kettlebells you can find them you know four kilo kettlebells pink colored and stuff like that and you think it's pretty right. safe yeah uh, but here's the thing they don't consider the virtual force I mean in physics force is mass multiplied by acceleration so even the uh, lightest kettlebell when it's it, it's in the air and it flies at high speed, can be very harmful. So most common mistakes is try to do things on your own without relying on a principle-based school on one side and on the other side, not being patient and not being precise. Which brings me to the most common mistakes in general, which are basically when you're working with overloads, which means marbles, calibers, clubbells, your own body weight, you must be an OCD, you know? You must be very precise. You must take care of the setup as a right. It means that the way you approach the tool, well, no matter if it's a calibre or barbell, the way you lift it from the ground, the way you set it down after you did your set is as important as the form of movement during the exercise or sometimes even more. And people have no patience. And also, people do not respect, they disrespect lightweights. So they think that since or while it's light, I can do things with a lightly form because it can't, cannot harm me. And they try to be only you know, precise and respectful only when it's heavy. And it's not true because most of the job, you will do it with lightweights. And so you will repeat the moves several times hundreds, thousands of times, and that's where you automate your gesture, and that's how you learn the right gesture. So all the work that you do with light weights is what prepares you to lift heavy weights safely. Okay, so going back to your point about the first thing you said about the YouTube University, that's really, really interesting. And I had a recent conversation with Greg Everett, and he was talking about Olympic weightlifting, and he essentially said the same thing that when he started Olympic weightlifting, there wasn't anything on YouTube that would uh, show you how to do a snatch. Now there's so much on YouTube. And you could say the same thing. My point is you can say the same thing about kettlebell training. So that's a really important point to understand is use caution with the YouTube videos and where you're learning from 
And I'm sure you'd agree with me on this one. There is no better way to learn how to use kettlebells, barbells, than to get in a workshop, seminar, certification, and get that hands-on training experience. There is nothing that will teach you more about how to use these tools, and there's nothing that will accelerate your training to a higher level than getting involved in a workshop or seminar. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, you know, here's the thing. I've been writing here a couple of books uh, at the time on bodybuilding and here on Cannibals recently and also shoot some DVDs. And I'm realizing there is no way you can put in a text all what you could do, say, show, correct during hands-on workshop. And not even the DVD because you lose so much of the details and uh, there is no other way to learn uh, how to be perfect. You know, when I went to my first certification in kettlebells, I did read everything I could find on the topic. And I thought I knew. But then as soon as I got there, I realized I knew nothing. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, it doesn't matter how much you read. You need somebody who, you know, hands on. And also, uh, mistakes are so individual that you also need individual correction. Yes. Of course, you need to go to, to attend a high-quality worship. You know, not all worships are the same. I don't know how it is in the U.S., but in Italy we have this problem of people, you know, attending a one-day course of something and the next day opening up their own certification. And uh, they don't know how to perform yet, and so how could they, could they teach it? Uh, you know, there are some steps. Yes. Uh, you are a student at the beginning, so you learn the skills. Then at one point, you become an instructor and you learn how to teach the skills to your students, maybe one-to-one and then in, the, in small groups and then in larger groups. But then the third step to become a teacher for those who will be teachers, that's a really long and high jump. You need, to, you need lots of skills for this. And also, you need lots of skills. You need to, you know, for your eye to see what is the mistake and how to correct it. Yes. Again, great points there. I want to go back to what you were talking about with books. And it's the same thing for me. You know, you read a lot of books. And I'm a huge advocate of reading books and learning as much as you can. And I think what that does is it gives you a good foundation for understanding kettlebells or any tool or any any performance training method. But it doesn't replace, again, getting into these these workshops. So books will take you so far, but at some point you got to get in there and you got to learn from instructors and, and things oh, of like course. that. Of so. course. And also, see, if you're a book author, most of the times you don't put all your information in there. You just put only that much to sell the book, but you keep yeah. something in your pocket or in the bank yeah. for the future books or for your workshops. Well, so yeah, you, you know, know, it's Fabio, it's, it's impossible that this is actually, I actually just wrote a book, uh, published a actual print book this past December. And th- there's just no way that you can put everything, you know, in, into a book, you just can't do it. So I tried to give a, a fundamental oh, yeah. uh, overview of general kettlebell techniques and some other things as well, but you're, you're absolutely right. And it's just, and also, just and also here's the thing, here's the thing, your knowledge is always expanding and I'm not saying that also sometimes you have to contradict yourself, but let's say it's an evolution. Yes. So I'm realizing if I read one of, my, uh, of the manuals I wrote for the Italian Federation of Fitness in the past or my previous books, if I reread them, 
I find so many things that would change right now. Yes. You know, some are still, some principles are still the same, but some other things you would have made a little different. Yes. Totally. Or maybe you would have said more, or you would have tweaked something. You know, it's uh, your knowledge is expanding. Book stays there, so you know it's it's not that easy to to update in a book. Right. All what your brain is processing. Yeah, things change. I mean, I think that's the bottom line. And, and you evolve, you know, we evolve the, the more we learn. You're absolutely right. So this is really, really great things that you're sharing here. Let me ask you this. This is a question I really wanted to ask you. What do you think are the limitations of the kettlebell training? It, there's a couple of things that I think the kettlebell is, is limited in doing. What, what do you think that the limitations of kettlebell training are? Well, there are, there are quite a few. Even if I, you know, promote kettlebells, it's obvious. You cannot do everything with them. Yes. And uh, this is the reason why my uh, training includes kettlebells, barbells, and body weight. Well, you know, that could sound like a joke, but you cannot do a pull-up with your kettlebells. <laughs> right, right. Right? Oh, yeah, you can hold a kettlebell or, you know, on your foot to do a pull-up, but it's not. A, so, yeah. if, first of all, no matter, it's a very good tool for your, you know, for your hip pinch, hip snap, when you want to uh, perform ballistics. But when it comes to grind and you start squatting with kettlebells, at one point, if you're really strong, uh, no matter how heavy other kettlebells you are, that you have, you can accomplish this. Let's say I have to switch to the bar. For my squats, I mean, I squat 230 kilos. And I have no problems in, you know, having a double kettlebell from squat with double beast. But here's the thing. Double beast is the, the highest the, the uh, highest size of kettlebells, double kettlebells that I could clean to get into position. If I if I had, I don't have only have singles over uh, single bells over fifty six kilos, over forty eight kilos, but I wouldn't be able. I don't think I think I had you know I have short legs. I would have troubles in cleaning to uh, fifty six kilo bells for doing a squat. And at that point, you know. The effort wouldn't be in my lower limbs, but rather in my shoulders and in my midsection to hold the weight in position. So, you know, for some things, you cannot use, use kettlebells. You need a barbell. Yes. The same is if you want to do a vertical pull. You know, horizontal pulls, you can do some great renegade rows and stuff like that. So for some parts of your body or some exercises, kettlebells are not the best tool are a tool that you can use if you only have kettlebells. But if you have choice, you would go, let's say, to a barbell or to bodyweight stuff. So they do have limitation. Another thing is about, you know, the jump between kettlebell sizes, which on one side makes programming more challenging. On the other side, it's fun. Because let's say, let's stick to the basic, you know, four kilo jumps between kettlebell size, sizes. You know, now you can find two kilo jumps. But let's say from six... From 16 to 20, it's only four kilos, right? Right. But it's 25% jumps. Yeah. Just put that on a barbell and think that you're doing bench press with 100 kilo, and next, the next step is 125 kilos. Right. <laughs> yeah. Big so difference. sorry if I said it in kilos rather than in pounds. That's quite a lot of jumps. So yes. strength programming in grinds with kettlebells is not easy at all. So you have to use different uh, programming strategies. On the other side, you know, you have to get stronger. So you, you cannot use, I love barbell programming because you can, you know, uh, go from, you can really adjust the weight to very precise percentages of your one rep max or your five rep max, whatever. Yes. 
But I find it funny when I see people trying to increase by 0.5 pounds on the barbell with those micro loads. Right, right. So in any case, yeah, another limitation of the kettlebell is the jump between sizes. You know, put it this way. If you are training for yourself in your home or in your garage and just for general fitness, when you have two or three kettlebells, that's it. That's enough. But yes. if you're like an accomplished athlete and do need to do more, you need an entire set of kettlebells, right? For the person who wants to be fit, uh, using a kettlebell can also save some money. But as soon as you're getting real strong, a barbell with a set of bumper plates, then you save money toward an entire set of kettlebells from right. 16 kilos to 48 or more and maybe doubles. So this is also, you know, another limitation. All right. That's good. Good answer to that question. What do you think that people need to know? What, what do people need to understand about different styles of kettlebell training? So there's some different styles out there. The hard style uh, yep. has really appealed to me for, for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, based on my background. And, um, and it's really the style that I have decided to, to stay with. But there are different styles out there. I'm just curious, what, are your, what do people need to know about different styles of kettlebell training? Well, first of all, I don't know how it is in the U.S., but here it seems that, well, so let's put it this way. Are us in a strong first community, the way we are, we avoid to badmouth other styles and stuff like that. We just try to respect everybody. Yes. While it seems that everybody in the uh, kettlebell sport hates us for some reasons, uh, I don't know how it is uh, in the U.S., but here in Europe, there is kind of a cold war between styles, which I find so funny, especially because the leaders of the cannabis sport here in my country are good friends of mine. So this is the way I see it. Let's put it, let's make a comparison with running. You can run 100 meters, right? Or you can run uh, 5K. Uh, both runners do run, but if you see them running, it's so different, right? Yes. But could you say that one is running in a wrong way or in a right way? It's different because the, the sprinter needs to give everything into 100 meters while the 5K runner needs to save his energy because he needs to run for, for a long time. So the style is uh, adequate, it's perfect for the needs of yes. the discipline. So, you see, the kettlebell sport training, the goal is the kettlebell sport competition. So, the goal is being able to uh, keep in your hands one or two kettlebells for 10 minutes and perform as many reps as you can without setting the kettlebell down. Or, if it's only one kettlebell, with only one hand switch. So, you need to save energy as much as you can and rely on that, right? Our goal, the hard side goal is not for the kettlebell sport. We use kettlebell as a tool for physical preparation and for power and strength and speed, which is also conditioning, but it's different. So we don't use kettlebell for the kettlebell sport. We use the kettlebell for different purposes. Let's say I might use kettlebell because I want to lose fat, or I might use kettlebell because I want to grow stronger, or I might use kettlebell because I want to improve my deadlift or my sprint. So, kettlebell is not the final goal. Kettlebell is the tool. This is the main difference between the, uh, you know, the hard style and the, and the sport, the kettlebell sport technique. And I would say something. It's also easier to be learned. 
hard style kettlebell training swing is something that anybody can learn in, uh, with a good instructor and can use it for his own fitness. Uh, the uh, kettlebell sport is much more complicated. So I think going back and summarizing this, I think you said this perfectly and you're really nailing the questions here, by the way, <laughs> but Thank you. The, the, the bottom line is to choose a style that fits your need. I mean, that's, exactly. that's the bottom line and there's no need to you know trash any other styles or anything like that. Uh, I think the, the key is to understand the styles and then choose yeah. a style that, that fits your need. And that's, that's it. That's the bottom line. So great, great explanation of that uh, question. You know, the, the way I see it is that you cannot sprint a marathon and you cannot take your time in a sprint. So it's the same thing. Right. So some people are more love long distance runs and love, you know, to stay, to have this long-term conditioning, you know, so stay keeping the pace for so many minutes because they makes them feel better. Some other people need, like love to lift heavy weights and some other people love to sprint. So, you know, according uh, to the way you are built and to your personal likes, you got to choose your style. Yes. And there's nothing bad. All styles are good as long as they are, you know, learned properly. All right. So I think most listeners to the show are pretty familiar with swings and get-ups and the kettlebell fundamentals. What do you think, if you had to say, what are the most underutilized kettlebell exercises? Or is there an exercise or two that may be really valuable that probably isn't done by most people? I would say the bent press. Yeah. I would say the bent press. And I'm realizing one thing, you know, when I started getting into kettlebell training, I remember I hated the Turkish kettlebell. <laughs> until I learned how to perform it properly and I really understood its values. Sure. For me, because, you know, coming, and I think you have the same thing, coming from a bodybuilding background, our mind was focused on muscles rather than movement. So I didn't see, you know, I didn't see the reason of the Turkish getup, you know, because what muscles is working, you know? This was my first thought at the beginning. And also it was so challenging for me because of my mobility, you know. And uh, so I didn't get its value. As soon as I got the value, I realized this is the exercise. So if I had to do, you know, if I had only 15, 20 minutes to train, I would do swings and get-ups right now. Uh, but the bench press is, is on the same side as the, as the uh, Turkish get-up. It's one of the uh, uh, least understood exercise, yes. exercises. And, but it can give you so many great benefits. Uh, even if you're, you know, doing other sports, I'm thinking about the uh, arch for the bench press for a power lifter. It gives you so much T-spine mobility yes. and it teaches you how to stabilize your shoulder, how to use your lat. And uh, you need so much control. And one thing that you learn in the bench press, since it's a grind, and I realize when I see people performing it and making some mistakes in it, you really need to stop under the weight, take your time and think of what you're doing and find the right alignment of the, of the weights on your body structure so you cannot make any mistakes. So it teaches you so many lessons, including the one of being really precise. The problem is that not many people are able to perform it, to perform it well, but it's not easy to teach also. And I was lucky because I had one of the best 
people who could teach the band press, I guess, around the world right now, which is uh, Master Stratford Dave Whitley. And I think he's, he's the one who can teach the band press better than anybody else. Yeah, I, and I would pretty much agree with that. Uh, the band press is definitely one of the most underutilized kettlebell exercises. And the same thing. I, again, I agree with what you said. There's, I think there's so many benefits to the band press. And I know even Dave says that the, the key reason to do the band press is to allow you to put heavier weight overhead. And that is definitely true. But I think that there are some, some other significant benefits in terms of mobility, movement, coordination, the back arch that you talked about. It's a really unique exercise. It's also a really misunderstood exercise, but a really high value exercise. So I'm guessing that your recommendation for people to, to learn the bed press, the, the resource that I would recommend would be the book by Dave Whitley. Taming the Bent Press. Would you recommend that resource or? Totally agree. Yes, of course. Okay. This is, I think it's, it's the best resource on the Bent Press you can find right now. Or if, if anybody has a chance to take a workshop with Dave on the Bent Press, just do it. I mean, I've been struggling. I remember this is something that could be fun. We both know Pavel, right? Yes. And you know that he's not keen to laugh too much. <laughs> Right, so he, he's Miles. He's a nice person, but yes. I think not many people have seen him has seen him laughing really hard, right, really loud. Right. Well, I did, and you know what oh, that was? Okay. When he first saw me trying to attempt a band press. Really? Yeah, I was at my RKC level two back in Hungary in two thousand and ten, uh, and it was the same day, you know, uh, where I did my beast tamer challenge at the time, and so they were teaching the band press. And I was struggling because I just couldn't move. I was still so stiff. You know, I was only one ear into kettlebell. And I was trying to do that and I couldn't move under the weight. And, you know, Pavel passed by and he tried not to laugh, but he couldn't. So, so yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> so you made Pavel laugh out loud with your yeah. press. That's hilarious. Actually, in my life, I made so many people laugh out loud. People who usually <laughs> don't. I'm good at that. I'm a funny person. That's yeah. what they say. Nice. Nice. <laughs> All right. Let's shift gears a little bit. I did want to talk to you more about muscle building than we've been kind of talking about. But how important is muscle building for you still to this day? So having the background in bodybuilding, I've seen you. Uh, I haven't seen you recently, but I'm assuming that you're still pretty muscular, uh, Fabio. So I imagine it's still important, but tell us, I mean, is, it, is this still an yeah. important thing for you? And, and what is your approach with hypertrophy training? Yeah, I have to admit that I still have the bodybuilding gene in, <laughs> in my cells. Yes. Uh, it means that, you know, it's not as important as it used to be. Because now strength is my goal. I enjoy strength again. So my my idea, my goal is to go back, go back and then uh, and compete in powerlifting in, in the future if I, if I can, if I don't get injured first. But still, I wouldn't want to see my, my myself uh, the mirror skinny without muscles. I'm realizing that uh, you can be look like a bodybuilder without doing bodybuilding, which means that I think it's. Maybe 10 years I don't perform a curl uh, or anything like that. But I, with the basic movements, you can still gain good hypertrophy. But the way I plan my trainings with, you know, the uh, intensity and the loading parameters, so sets, reps, I always make sure that I 
keep some hypertrophy work into it because I, I like to be muscular. And actually, here's the thing, uh, which is fun. In 2000, I've been competing in bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding, to, to, until 1994. Then I didn't compete for 12 years and showed up in 2006. In a, it was an open Italian natural championship, and I won it. And now it's, it's 10 years have passed, right? And wow. just wow. three days ago, I got the invitation to uh, participate in June. Okay. And I'm really thinking about it. You know, I'm thinking about going back on stage and do a bodybuilding competition. And it would be, and if I do it, if I decide to do it, I'm going to train in a completely different manner compared to what I used to do, which means that I will only use body weight, barbells and kettlebells, you know. And I believe that I can build a bodybuilding physique without needing to use machines or use the uh, typical bodybuilding techniques. Yes. I realized this thing in my years of training and coaching and reading and seeing around that, you know, most of what you see in bodybuilding magazines performed by the champions, which, you know, there's some chemical stuff in there, of course, also, is not what they really do. Or if it is what they really do, it's because it's them. Because it's them, because they have, a, you know, the genetics they have, but at the same time, also, we can say it, right? Uh, they're using some drugs. Right. If right. you train naturally and you do train like a bodybuilding champion is preparing for the Olympia, you're not going to get those results. You're just going to burn out and destroy your fibers and kill yourself. So I'm realizing that you can really gain lots of muscles by training, staying far away from failure with, a little high, with higher volume, with uh, uh, complex movements, and you can really build mass. You just need a little bit of isolation uh, training, you know, work just close to the competition when you're getting ripped and you have to work on details. But to become huge like a bodybuilder, you don't need to train like a bodybuilder. I don't know if I got the point. I think yeah, helping. Yeah, yeah. No, you did. You did. I, I do want to just dig in a little deeper there. So would you do any traditional type bodybuilding exercises. So you mentioned somewhere in there about uh, curls. And so I'm thinking like, you know, to work the biceps directly doing uh, barbell curls or lying tricep extensions, skull crushers, that type of thing. Would you incorporate any of that type of training if, you, if you're planning to go into this bodybuilding competition in June? I wouldn't until really close to the competition. And uh, I would only if I have part of my body, which is really behind the others. Okay, But I'm realizing that when you train your body as a whole and uh, when you have a good balance between, you know, presses and pulls, hip hinges and squats, if your training is in balance, your body looks balanced like a bodybuilder. I see so many imbalances in bodybuilders, like people who are always doing the leg press. You see they have no glutes. Nothing, you know, nothing in the back, or they're only working their lats with lat pull downs and stuff like that. You see, they have their lats are thick because they don't do deadlifts and stuff like that. And I'm realizing that uh, there was an article in the Strong First blog that said, you know, if it looks good, it flies well, something like that. Uh, you could do also the opposite. If you move well, you look good. Right. The way your body looks reflects what you're doing and the way you move. So if your training is really well balanced, you don't really need to work on so many details. It doesn't mean you'll never need to, but not that much. Yeah. Okay. It means that 
I have big arms, but I don't do curls. I do chin-ups, right? But let's say that going close to competition, I realize that my tricep is leaking compared to my bicep. Or I need, you know, sort of uh, definition separation. I could add something at the very end, but it would be just that much, that little of a systems work. But the main work would be, you know, the rest. You know, what I always do, uh, my training is kind of, you know, it's always, there is a hip hinge, which usually is deadlift. There is a squat, which usually is a back squat, but I can, you know, shit, uh, rotate around exercises there. There is a horizontal press and a, and a vertical press. So the bench press and the military press, which could be done with kettlebell, barbell or whatever. Yes. There is a horizontal pull and a vertical pull, which could be deadlifts, uh, which would be, sorry, rows, which would be pull-ups. So if I keep the balance between those movements, plus some contralateral movements, such as the Turkish get-up and stuff like that, I, my body's in balance, so I realize that I don't really need to work the single muscles because they, are already, they already look good. If I look the way my body looks now compared to when I was competing in bodybuilding, I find less weak points now than then. Yeah. Well, let me, gosh, man, a lot there. <laughs> what would be the, the variable? So with all the things that you just said, what would be the training variable that you would change or increase to increase muscle size? The volume. The volume. The okay, volume uh, and uh, in, in certain intensity, intensity zones. Okay. Let, let me explain. Now, I'm using a lot the, uh, right now the uh, uh, Soviet methodology, so I train pretty much as you could learn in Pavel's Plant Strong Seminar. And uh, I divide my lifts, my monthly lifts or my weekly lifts in the intensity zones, which is 50, 60%, 60, 70, 70, 80, 80, 90%, and over 90%, right? So when I work on strength, I am more in 75, 85% zone. If I need to work more on hypertrophy, I would increase the volume, but include more work in the 65, 75% zone and also in 55, 60% zone. So I would work more there. So the average intensity, total intensity will go will lower a little bit rather than pure strength training and the volume will go would go higher. Yeah. So we had method. I love right. it. Okay. All right. So, and, and I think that really is in agreement with a lot of the kind of science behind muscle building. And that is that volume and intensity really are the primary drivers yeah. for stimulating muscle growth. But you know, the way I see intensity right now, it's much different when I used to, or, uh, how I used to see it. So I don't see intensity as the effort on how much, you know, you perform the last rep with effort you do four reps or negatives. Uh, I see intensity as a percentage of the uh, one rep max, only for one reason. I've been doing also at the time the heavy duty training and all that stuff. I've worked with force reps, negatives, down direct, uh, rest poses, anything in bodybuilding. Yes. And I'm realizing that that stuff works if you do it once in a while to shock your body. Yes. But if you keep working at, you know, at exhaustion, at fa to failure, you're going to burn out. You're going to create serious damages to your muscle tissue and you're never going to get it back. So I'm realizing that uh, if I increase the volume while keeping a decent buffer uh, in every single set that I do, it means that I always keep a few reps in the bank. I can perform more work at the end because there's going to be more sets and I gain more in hypertrophy. I wish I had this muscles 
muscles I have now when I was competing in bodybuilding and I didn't know about this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going back to what you said about some of the bodybuilding kind of uh, principles and techniques, I agree too. I think that there is a role for some of those uh, principles and techniques, but they, they can't be overdone. You know, you can't do these things indefinitely and for, for short time periods, they're okay. But the caution is to, you know, not overdo them. So this is the thing. The problem is that, you know, there is, and this is typical Western. This is this idea that if something works on that, on a certain dose, if you double the dose, you're going to double the results, which is not true. I mean, if you have a very bad headache and you take, an, a, what is it, acetaminophen in, in the U.S., right? A painkiller. And you can get rid of the headache, but if you take an entire box, you're going to die. So too much is too much. The right amount is the right amount. There's a place for most of the uh, high-intensity bodybuilding technique. There is a place for them. But you have to use them at the right time and in the right amount. You know, problem is that if it works, if it had been working once, people think, okay, I'm going to do it every day. Doesn't work this way. You got to wave the loads in yes. your training and also the efforts. Yes, absolutely. Let me ask you about one of your more recent articles. And this kind of is in a line with what we're talking about here. So, one of the recent articles that you uh, published on Strong First was the 5TRM back squat. Program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell listeners a little bit about uh, this article, kind of a, an overview. I'll make sure to attach a link for that in the show notes so they can go check it out. But it sounds like you had some really good success with this, uh, this program. So give us an overview of this. Yeah, people liked it. And so, and I am going to, I'm in the process of writing uh, the uh, uh, version, the uh, sequel of that article. Okay. Which, because, it, you know, so many questions came out, out of that. So first of all, let me explain what it's about. It's, it's, first of all, it's not only for the squat. It happened that I, you know, used it for the squat. But right now, I have some people who are running that, that program for like three or four lifts at the same time. So you can use it for other lifts. You have to tweak the volumes, of course. The idea is of having a weight that you can uh, lift for five times. It means that it's not your 5RM rep max. It's your 5TRM, which is five technical rep max, which means a weight with which you can perform five perfect reps. And this is very crucial because, you know, people think that 5RM means that you can maybe perform two good reps, two ugly ones, and the other one somebody is, is you know, taking the bar off your neck. Right. You've been doing, you know. No, TRM means you can perform five. And then it's a program that gradually increases the volume of work, so the number of lifts divided in ladder sets uh, weekly, where the weight that is basically 90% of that, it means that you're always keeping reps in your bag. So let's say you did uh, your 5TRM with 200 pounds. I'm trying to think in pounds rather than kilos now. So you should work with 180 pounds, and you will alternate sets of doubles, triples, and sets of five. It means that even the, uh, uh, the set with a higher amount of reps will not be at uh, maximum effort. This will allow you every week to increase the volume. And increasing the volume at the end will result in more strength and also some hypertrophy also when volumes get high. And uh, it's so the uh, volume goes up every week and you perform the squat three times a week. You know, when you're, 
another difference be between this type of training and bodybuilding. If you do a very intense bodybuilding program on your legs, maybe you, you will need not to work out your legs for one week to 10 days, right? If you train your legs to failure. If you do your squat, even heavy squat, you know, and stay away from failure, you can do it more often, which will result in better technique, less injuries, and also more volume in, in terms of hypertrophy. And, uh, but here's the thing, when you always train with moderate weights and then you need to go heavier, you kind of get scared of heavier weights and you might lose your technique. So this program also includes uh, once a week uh, when the volume is lower, uh, it includes some heavier lifts, heavier singles, just, you know, to keep your brains used to heavier weights and it works. But so the questions that came out out of the program is that, uh, that's first of all is, well, so we don't need to test a one rep max. Actually, some people do, do not. But most people will want to at one point. Right. It means that if you're not a power lifter or a pure strength athlete, you can, you know, try to figure out what your one rep max can be without trying it, which means that you stay away from risks. So you can, you know, you can calculate what, uh, what your one rep max can be based on a good triple or a good double. And you can plan your trainings without even attempting. But uh, if you are a competitive person, at one point you will want to try it. And you must be in the, in the best conditions to, to be able to do that safely, which means that your technique must be perfect. And when you work with high volumes far away from failure, your technique improves a lot. So this will lead you to being able to test one rep max. And the other question that came out from that is that that is a linear program, which means that the volume goes up every week, which is a simple type of programming. And so if there are other ways of programming it, yes, they are. So you can also waive the volume. So, you know, in, let's say in two months it goes up, but not in a linear way. So I, you know, I got ready a couple of variants of that program. I'm going to post them soon, as soon as I just finished. But I'm, you know, before writing anything or giving any advice, I want to test those things on myself first. And then I have my personal guinea pigs, which are like 20 students that try everything that my, my crazy, my evil brains come up, <laughs> comes up with. Yeah. And so whatever I publish, if I, when I publish it, you know, I have to be sure that it has been working on a statistically significant number of people. Yes. Yeah. And I have to be the first one. So yeah. I, I agree. And I'm the same way. I mean, when I design programs, I have to do them myself and then yeah. I usually like other people to do them as well. So I'm totally with you there. So again, I'll attach a link to this uh, article in the show notes. This is a really comprehensive article, a really comprehensive uh, program. And uh, we'll look forward to the uh, second part of that. A lot of great um, working on it. Yeah. <laughs> working on it. Thanks for uh, sharing that with everybody. Thank you for sharing the link. Yeah. I'm honored. So a couple more questions here as we're uh, winding down. I know we're coming up on an hour. Uh, one question I, I had to ask you is uh, if you had to do it all over again, Fabio, in, in your training journey, is there anything that you would do differently as you look back? Oh, yeah. You know, I basically, I would do all what I did with the knowledge I have now. And uh, maybe I would have won, I could have, you know, win more competitions and stay injury free. You know, sometimes I'm realizing that, you know, I did, at the time, no internet, I could, I was like 
had waiting for some friend to go to US to the US and come back with one book and I could maybe have access to one or two new books a year and I couldn't so this, there was no knowledge at the time so most of the things were you know improvised so having the knowledge I have now many more satisfaction and kept myself injury free so since that is not possible I'm trying to do that for others I mean all the people I get into contact with me and I can coach, you know, I'm trying to prevent them from doing my mistakes. And, you know, the best satisfaction for a coach is when your students in just a few years become, you know, accomplish much more than you did in 30 years. That, that means that you're becoming a good coach. So even if I wasn't a very good athlete, a decent athlete, but not very good athlete, not too good, uh, my goal now is to become, you know, <laughs> learn from experience and be a better coach. Yes. That I still, I still can do. Yes. Well, uh, you know, what's really interesting about this whole interview is that I think you and I actually share a lot of the same uh, philosophy. It, this has been just really, really awesome information in this interview session. So I can't thank you enough for all the great uh, tips, tactics, specific advice, and uh, all of your you know, learnings through the years that you're sharing with us here during this interview session. Uh, where can people find you online, Fabio? Where can people connect and, and learn more about what you're doing? Well, they, uh, they find me, actually, they can find me on Facebook. I don't have, uh, at the moment, online programs or stuff like that because I'm so busy with Strong First every single weekend that uh, the week uh, doesn't allow me to do online coaching or anything like that anymore. I used to, but right. I can't do it anymore. So they find me on Facebook. They find my website which I'm sorry, it's in Italian, which is every reason. My name and last name, fabiozonin.it. Or they can email me, which is, it's so easy, which is info at fabiozonin.it. So that's the way. Or they can friend me on Facebook. Actually, on Facebook, I have uh, two profiles on the page. The two profiles are full, 5,000 each. So I can't add any more friends unless somebody unfriends me, which happens. Uh, but I can, wow. they can still send me messages so I can still. And I answer to everyone always. I'm not a jerk. Usually I answer to everybody. Excellent. Sometimes, you know, some messages get into the that spam folder, you know. Right. So maybe I see them one week later. So, but usually I, whoever gets in touch with me, I always give them an answer. Yes. Uh, one last question here, actually two, two last questions. I have, uh, pretty much these two standard questions. I always ask guests, what's the book that you would recommend the most to others? English or Italian? <laughs> English, of course. Let's go English. Yeah. Uh, right now, and training could... kettlebells at any kind, but all oh, just what comes to my mind right now. Yeah, actually. Uh, so strength, fitness, or Anything other, anything that relates to, okay. to life. That I, I will really give you a title yeah. of, a, of a book that I love, and it's so much underrated because it goes deep into details so much, which is Power to the People Professional from Pavel. Yeah, great book. Great. Yeah, it's a great book, and it, there's so much information there that you can work for years. The problem is that you need to be somebody who likes to think a lot. It's not that kind of book where you get your prepackaged program. It's a book that has lots of content there. And you need to work your own programs on that. But I think it's a great book. Yeah. Again, that's Power to the People Professional. And that was a yeah. book that I actually got, uh, I think, sometime in the last year. And uh, really, really uh, a great book. I mean, all Pavel's work is, is really great. But this, you know, you mentioned Beyond uh, Bodybuilding in the beginning. 
That's another great book. This, yeah. I love that book. Yeah, that, that, that might that be book. one of Pavel's uh, best pieces of work, maybe. But uh, yes, I think I think they, they both. Well, you know, he did lots of great books, yes. but some of them are about the program, which are great. Some of them really give you so much information that you could reread it ten times and get more out of it. And behind bodybuilding and power to the people, professional art, that kind of book. Yes. Actually. All right, Fabio, final question here. What's the one thing that you'd like everybody to take away from the interview today? What's something that maybe they can take action with? Okay, I'd like them to go. This this is the message. (laughs) When you train, be safe, which means that be very precise, be very patient, and try to get your knowledge out of reliable sources. But most of all, try to attend hands-on workshops. You need people to show you, to correct you, and to really coach you well. Awesome. And uh, I I love that point, by the way, because uh, what you said about being safe, and that's really the the number one thing that I always uh, talk about, write about, is that safe training, you know, safety is the number one priority in any good training program. So I'm totally, uh, again, in agreement with with that, Fabio. Fabio, this has been really, really great. I mean, um, I, I really hope that people can take a lot of information and action away from this interview. And I thought that uh, you blew my mind, man. I'll be honest. I mean, this is a really, really great session. <laughs> Thank there's, you there's, so much. questions I, I didn't get to, but uh, so maybe we'll do this again down the line. Well, we'd be glad to do it. All right. Well, guys... Uh, Thank you so much for listening this week, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast. Until then, train strong, and of course, as we just talked about, train safe. Take care. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast this week. And if you'd like to become part of the Ardella Training community, be sure to go to ardellatraining.com forward slash join to get your free training mistakes guide, which contains 12 critical training mistakes I made through the years. I know this 36-page guide will save you time and frustration and accelerate your training results. And it's free. You'll get that and so much more at ardellatraining.com forward slash join. Hope to see you there.